Hello, rogues. It's episode six of the Streets of Avalon re-release. We're four stretch goals in as of this recording, which means that for the $10 PDF, you'll be getting the book, The Streets of Avalon, and the following supplements. The Urban Ranger, The Firearms of Avalon, A Map of a Neighborhood, and Iron Shoes, an adventure by Avalon creator Brett B. of Gaming MBS. We have more stretch goals to go, so click on the link in the post notes if you want to get in on all the dark city-wide urban fantasy action, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash streetsofavalon. Now, before we get to the play, let's get another preview for you folks. How to build a neighborhood and keep the PCs in the city. As massive as the city of Avalon is, and as much as there is to explore within its walls, the PCs may not want to stay for long if they don't have some ideas on where to start. Too many options and too much of an organized waiting for the PCs to take the bait approach can cause the group to start to look outside the city walls. Avalon is large enough that if the PCs want to hunt monsters for a while, then get engaged in a heist, move next into the worlds of political intrigue, and end up investigating crimes committed during a guild war, that's totally possible. The key is to have the right connections, active hooks, and ownership opportunities to help the PCs become invested and want to stay. The following is an approach you can use to build your neighborhoods across Avalon. The information that you slot into this outline doesn't need to be detailed, fully complete, or even all generated by you. Leaving room for the players and their characters to help you fill in sections is a great cooperative way to have your players feel ownership with the neighborhood. The overall approach is to outline the following. 1. Identify the types of adventures this area should contain, such as political intrigue, dungeon crawling treasure hunting, heists, investigation crime solving, monster hunting. 2. What section of the city will the story focus on? The docks in the South Ward, Eastern or Western Gate areas, the noble section of the north. 3. Determine which local groups, people, and places of interest exist and make up the moving parts of the neighborhood. Who are they? What is causing them trouble? What can they do for the characters? 4. Figure out some inciting incidents that could cause conflicts. Where are the small standalone incidents or conflicts? What incidents or conflicts, if any, are interconnected? In each of these steps, the GM can ask questions of their players to help fill in the details. The players don't need to go into minute detail. High-level thoughts and ideas work very well, giving the GM plenty of ideas to help create the types of adventures the players are interested in. Here are a few examples of pre-game questions. What kind of adventures are you interested in? Are there any groups, guilds, people, or creatures you'd like to have around to interact with? Are any of you involved with an individual or group here? Any friends or foes among them? During play, you will find out that you missed something some shop, some guild, an NPC, or whatever that suddenly your PCs want to interact with. Remember, this is the PC's neighborhood. They know this neighborhood as well or better than you do. Ask the players for some info. What's the name of the blacksmith? What does he look like? Is he trustworthy? Write it down and incorporate that into the overall neighborhood. Here are some example in-game questions. What's the name of the blacksmith? What does the innkeeper look like? Is there baker you're looking to talk with trustworthy? Why do you know that? How have they proven their trust in the past? Does this neighborhood have a member of the Fences Fraternity Guild, or do you need to go somewhere else for that? That's all for this installment. Now on to the next episode, and if you've backed the Kickstarter, thank you. And if you have or haven't, please tell your friends, enemies, the monsters you know, any rogues you associate with, and everyone in between about the Streets of Avalon. Last time on the Streets of Avalon, our rogues decided to trust some cats... Maris killed One-Eyed Willie for murdering Allison, and Grandma forgave her son Cutter and asked him to stay safe. 
Now let's find out if Mord is on the level and if Maris can learn anything about the box. Welcome to the Streets of Avalon, played by the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and presented by Misdirected Mark Productions, in conjunction with Gaming and BS, She's a Super Geek, and the Knights of the Night. Now for the introductions of our GM, the players, and the characters. Uh, Brett B. from Gaming and BS, I am the Dungeon Master. Hi there, this is Kevin Lovecraft. I'm playing a bard in this 5e campaign. Maris Salanus. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the GMs and editors of Knights of the Night Actual Play Podcast. I am uh, playing a druid character, Nora Maginnis, also known as Grandmother. I'm Emily from She's a Super Geek. I make up about one half of it, technically. I am playing a ranger, Fionn McFinnegan. And my name is Chris Nizak, and I am one of the hosts and, uh, I guess, the architect of Misdirected Mark Productions. I am playing a character called Vassar Vim. I am a rogue who lives on the hard streets of Avalon, and I turn the microphone over to Brett B. So, Maros, you head out. You have taken some coin. You had two gold coins you were given from Vassar from the plunder that you had. And the goal is to try to get that money changed into something that you can handle. Are you going to change both of the gold coins or just one of them at this point? I'll just change one because I don't want too heavy a purse and for it to jingle too much, even tucked away into various pockets and pouches. Yeah, good point, because that's a lot of money. Yeah, I'll probably get like a piece of paper for part of that that I can cash in. Perfect. The Storytellers Guild in Avalon has a number of different small chapter houses, is probably the best way to put it. There are places where the uh, street storytellers, like Blind Simon, gather, where they get together on the street corners, and they have impromptu meetings there, but then there's also houses and physical buildings, at least a couple within each of the different wards or sections, some within the the dock ward, the southern portion, east, west, and of course up in the north. On the east and west, there's more of them because the sheer volume of traffic that you get from the outlands in those areas. The guild there is trying to grab as many different stories and information and rumors and all that stuff that they can. So there's plenty of opportunity there. Is there... Any particular house that's known for having a larger membership and a library on hand? Uh, the chapter houses here, each one is um, run by a different master storyteller in this space. So we have Master Corwin is a storyteller who is in charge of this particular house. Corwin has a sizable uh, collection that would be what you would consider a library. He has scrolls and different things he's uh, collected and so forth. He is a notoriously bad organizer, but he has stuff squirreled away and stuffed in different places and, you know, pigeonholed throughout his place. So think of his home as kind of a three-story, almost a tower, if you will. It's not very big around, goes straight up, has no walk-ups or anything on the outside. The roof walkways that you can get in a lot of Avalon where you can climb up the side of buildings through different ladder systems and whatnot to then get across the roof runners. His roof is incredibly steeply pitched, so that doesn't exist here. He's kind of a um, almost an island into himself within the uh, Avalon Street system here. The front door hanging above it, you've got the little shingle that hangs out there that says Corwin, Master Storyteller. You can just walk right up and knock on the door. I assume that's the plan. Yeah, I'll uh, stroll up to the door and give it a nice, solid, confident knock. Any response? Absolutely. The door will open up. You see a young boy. One of the scribes, or an apprentice of some sort, sees you, bows. Can I help you, sir? Yeah, I'd like to speak with uh, Master Corwin, please, if you could let him know that 
Mara Salanas is here. Mara Salanas. Hmm. Left hand goes to a chin. He scratches. His right hand goes out. Left hand goes in pocket, brings out a silver. And put it in the right hand that's open in front of you? Yep. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 Maris. I remember you. Ah, heck of a storyteller. I'll go tell the master that you're here. Don't you worry. He shuts the door nicely and tot, 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 runs off. About five minutes later, he comes back, opens the door and says, he's incredibly busy. His right hand is out in front of you again, but he promises that he'll be able to see you within the next 10 minutes, maybe five. And he smiles. Is there some warm tea in there? I reach towards my pocket, looking at him meaningfully. Absolutely, there's warm tea in here. Hmm, well, let's step in and uh, we can get settled up. Sounds good. You come inside. It's nice and toasty in here. There's kind of a pot-bellied stove style. There is a coal burning in it. A little smoky, not too bad. There are lanterns hanging from different hooks and so forth. It's, again, incredibly cluttered. The ceiling is kind of low. If you were six feet or taller, you'd be banging your head on the wooden crossbeams that come through here. Very, very cluttered. There's a door on the far end. He points oh, you... six one, so I'm like hunched over. And po- I flip him a coin. Perfect. He says, uh, would you like to wait here? He points at one of the overstuffed kind of uh, beat up chairs, or um, I can take you back? No, I'll wait until he's ready. Okay. I'll just kind of wander around the room while I'm waiting for my tea and for Corwin. Sounds good. Now, Nora and Fionn, you guys, you're going to be going to see this liché. As we talked a little bit last time, the liché with Avalon, what you would see is probably a perversion, is maybe a strong word, but a very different version of the old faith, the druidic faith that you guys practice back in your village. You would see it, Nora, more as a Krom Kruik, kind of a harsh uh, nature god version versus what you guys have, which is not necessarily, you know, nurture-loving, hippie type of really everything's peaceful and great, but they have really taken it up to 11 and turned up the angst uh, machine on their on their version of druidism here. So more feral, as it were? Yeah, a lot more feral. Nature is a thing that is a starving wolf. It is always going to devour it's a battle. There's no harmony. There's no living with a thing. It's how is it that you're going to confront uh, nature and and beat it down mm-hmm. is the approach. Gotcha. So, Noral, my thought is that you're going to be going to see a priest of a druidic faith. When you uh, have approached fellow uh, druids in your village or neighboring villages and so forth, is there a process? Do you have a gift that you normally bring or something that you would do from or guess? What would you see as the right way to enter another priest's church, essentially, or another druid's grove? Well, you certainly have to treat them with all the respect that they're due as the ruler of that section of the forest or or whatever the surrounding area is. But yes, we typically bring a gift as well, something from our area to share with theirs to cause the two to come together. So something specific to our area, a certain type of seed or plant Okay, to share our nature with theirs. Are you going to dig in your pockets for this? Or are you going to look at Fionn and say, so I assume you brought it? <laughs> is it? Is that <laughs> is that what's happening? Well, I'm sure Fionn clearly would have brought one. She knows the tradition as well as I do. It was also on the checklist Grandma gave me. <laughs> in case you meet a druid, make sure you have five acorns. Mm-hmm. Fionn, what are you bringing? We have beautiful wildflowers that are a distinct shade of sort of an in-between blue-green. And so along with their seeds, we usually wrap the seeds in their dried 
petals. Very nice. So I have several little bundles of dried petals with seeds inside. Perfect. So another quick bit on graveyard. There's a north, south, east, west, and one in the old Forbidden City. But across Avalon, those major graveyards are the ones that have the masters of the liche. You have Craddock's, uh, Selena, Tomlin, Darius, and the ancient one, who uh, he, she, or it, is within the crypts of the old city, the Forbidden City. So these smaller graveyards, like the one that Mort maintained, can be anything from the size of perhaps a manor house to maybe a city block. And that's what you guys are heading to, a smaller one, where he would manage and maintain the dead Probably about a city block, excuse me, a neighborhood would be a good description. He handles basically the neighborhood's dead and their spiritual needs. So that is where Vassar, Fionn, and Nora are headed. Mars, after about five minutes, the back door opens up and you see Corwin. He steps out. He is his usual self. He is uh, rail thin. He has He's bald but refuses to acknowledge that fact. He has the, the nastiest of sketchy, stringy, straw-like comb-overs. His patchy beard is just as good as his patchy scalp, and he's missing some teeth, and he has a tendency to uh, chew tobacco, so he's not a very pleasant man, but he knows a lot. And, well, he's the master uh, storyteller of the house. Corwin sees you and says, ah, Maris, spits in a little spittoon. Good to see you again. I assume you need something again? Well, I won't lie to you. I mean, I would, but there'd be no point, would there, Corwin? No, there would not. Um... Looking for some historical information mm-hmm. about the city, and and I realized that uh, I didn't have it in any of the many stories that you've told me over the years, or that I've heard at the feet of the other masters about the city. I thought there's probably no one better to go to than you. Well, I mean, if you are looking for authentic knowledge that reaches back ages, and um, yes, yes, this mind, a steel trap, steel trap, he's thumping his temple. Yes, definitely. What is it that you seek? I mean, what, 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 what do you need that I may have? I just want to be really clear. This is a confidential discussion, right? Of course it is. I look back and forth around the room. Where's the little uh, page? He shushes him out through the back. He gives him a, a little wedge of cheese, a bit of sausage, and uh, some warm tea and shushes him out. Come on now. Come on now. Out you go, Sam. Okay. Click. You know I gave Sam two silver. Did any of it make it to your pocket yet? Oh, yes. Okay, just want to make sure. Don't quite trust that kid. Oh, you can trust Sam. He's as good as they get. Like I said, I don't quite trust that kid, because I know how good they get. Ah, well said, well said. Cigar? Pipe? Uh, no, no. I think I'll just stick with the tea for right now, thank you. All right. It's been a tiring day. A lot has happened. So let's get to it then. What do you need? I'm wondering if uh, you could indulge me and tell me a bit about... uh, what, you know about the history of lamplighters uh, with the city over the many, many years that uh, Avalon has been here? And if there's anything they have to do with, and I like do the look both ways, lower my voice, Erlich. Well, that is a tall order. Whew. Uh, historically speaking, the lamplighters have been a part of Avalon ever since Avalon has been. There's no direct connection as to where they came from, whether they are fully human, some sort of demonic entity, or exactly what. It is posited by some that the Lamplighters came to be shortly after the Soul War, after the elves and uh, the dwarves left us. Some people believe that they're actually uh, what's left of the elves, kind of devolved into this servitor-like state. 
I find that probably true, most likely, at least in my opinion, based on what I've gathered. Their connection to Erlig, I, I, I know of no connections between the Lamplighters and Erlig. Why, why would you ask about Erlig? Is, you're not, the, is there a cult? The, the cults of Erlig are forbidden. I mean, they, they will hunt those down. I will admit that the name Erlig has been bandied about a bit lately, and I'm pretty sure it's related to some problems that I experienced. And I do fear that there might be some members of Cult of Erlig lurking about the city with bad plans. I'm trying to get a handle on whether there's actually something going on or not. Why are you embroiled with the Cult of Erlig? That's what I'd like to know. What, what what are you into? You're a storyteller. Why are you doing this? Exactly. And I wasn't even looking for... Well, I mean, I was, I'm always looking for stories, but I wasn't looking for anything about Erlig. Do you have something they want? Not that I know of, but man, people are asking about some sort of, like, containers of souls or mouths or spirits or something. And You, you, you have the mouth of Erlig? What the hell is that? Do you have it on you? Do you have it with you right now? I look into his eyes very closely. <laughs> lean in. Why Give- would you ask that, Corwin? It's obvious I have nothing like that. I hold out my cloak to my sides. A little perception check you can give me there. There is no trait of the doppelganger within his eyes. He lives. He has a greedy intent. If I could find out where it was, would it be of value to us? I don't know if I've stumbled across the edges of some grand plan. You know how there's always things going on, but why does anyone even care? Why would anyone even want something associated with such a foul deity? The guild is well aware that this item has surfaced. What? And is willing to pay handsomely for it. The guild is? Yes, How handsomely? Very handsomely. We're talking gold. Piles of gold. Okay, my imagination is pretty big. Can you put, like, some sort of number on that, Corwin? I've been told that the coffers are wide open and that um, you will be paid your weight in gold. I better fatten up and find it, then. I was going to say, if you if you need to stuff your trousers um, with with sausages or something, I'm not sure, but... You know that I don't need to stuff my trousers. (laughs) And I really resent the implication, Corwin. You okay, Corwin? You seem to be choking on something well, there? <clears throat> well, you know where this thing is? No, I don't. Why are you asking about it? I'm asking because talk has been bandied about and people have been harassing me about it, so I don't know if I know something and don't know that I know something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. Um, hmm. There's a couple different things we could do here. I mean, if you and I were to find this box mm-hmm. and deliver it, we could split the gold. Just you and I. So we're talking like 70-30, me 70, you 30? I would I would absolutely take that. Oh, uh, shit. I didn't do a very good do- job of bargaining there. What does it look like? So if I know it when I see it. You'll know it when you see it. <laughs> so, uh, wow, that's really helpful. Look, Maris, I am positive that you know where it is and that you're playing me right now. I am positive of this. He gives you a nasty smile, missing teeth, chewing tobacco between the you know between the gums type of thing. 
I know you have it. I wish you wouldn't be like this, Corwin. And I'm just telling you, if you bring it... I'm just telling you I killed a guy today, and I didn't even feel it when I killed him. You don't have to kill him. You are pushing me a little too far right now with this sort of talk. No one needs to be... You're acting like you got something on me. Now you're backpedaling. I'm not... Either way, don't like it. I don't have anything on you. What I'm telling you is that we can make a lot of money right now. closer. I'm edging into his personal space, <clears throat> he ba- looming over him, he, he, tapping him on the chest. I don't... You're telling me nothing right now. You are issuing vague threats. I'm just telling is you... what it seems like to I'm me. I'm telling you the guild wants it, and they want it really bad, and they will pay your weight in gold if you turn it in. What more do you need to know? You've shown what sort of man you are. That's quite clear. I'm a man who understands the value of money, which is what I thought you were. Come on, Morris. Oh, I'm better than, like, the nobles and that crap. I thought you were, too, but obviously I was wrong. Aren't you Aren't you a noble? And he, his eyes get real wide with the, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Look, Morris. Okay. Let's just start over from where we can. What I know is that the Lamplighters have been in Avalon forever. If you want more information, you're going to have to go ask them yourself. As to the Mouth of Erlig, it is a hideous artifact from the Soul War itself that um, was used to house some horrendous, gibbering beast that Erlig himself called from another place of existence and used in the war. That's all I know. It doesn't seem to me that'd be good for anyone to be wanting to get their hands on that. Well, it depends what you want to do with it, right? I mean, if you're going to do what the Guild would do, which would be take it, hide it, secure it, it would be fine. Oh, hmm So glad that you have, and the guild, have our interests at heart. Of course we do. Okay, let's shake on this. Okay. Spit in my hand, hold it out. Spits in his, he'll shake. Shake. Done. All right, 80-20, done. 80-20. I step out. <laughs> Fiona Vassar. Vassar knows where... Mort's place is, as we've learned, Vassar is kind of a lip service kind of guy when it comes to religion. It's not a big thing for him. The graveyard that Mort controls, that he's the head uh, priest for, is maybe about the size of a city block. It used to have a stone wall around it, maybe six to ten feet high. It's long since crumbled and dilapidated down, overgrown with trees, shrubs, and so forth. Mort and the Acolytes do their best to keep it clean, but... They only have, you know, so much money, time, and everything else out dealing with, you know, not only locals who have funeral rites and marriages and other things that they need to oversee, plus, you know, collecting the dead every day, which takes time and energy. Where the wall itself is busted down, they have done their best to either place the bricks and stones just kind of balanced on top of each other or put picket fencing or something along those lines, trying to keep at least the facade of a wall around this uh, sacred space. The inside of it, um, it has two main gates. It has a north and a south entrance. The gates are the wrought iron with the traditional kind of gothic-y spikes on top. Both of them are bent and twisted and don't close fully. The one that you're coming into would be from the southern end of it. Once you walk in, it's a nice cobblestone path. The cobblestones are, of course, overgrown. There's some missing. There's weeds and stuff along those lines. The headstones in here, many of them are broken or in some state of disrepair. It's very, very old. You have centuries upon centuries of weathering and so on. That's happened with all these different markers and monuments for the various dead. At the center of the graveyard is what looks like a, probably a two to three room mausoleum is the best way to describe it. It's solid stone, seems to be in the best shape, has a thatched roof, a chimney, wisps of smoke coming out of it. Lights are on. 
Fionn, there are about 16 cats running around this place. That was going to be my first question. Are they all black and identical looking? Hmm. Yes, they are. They're going to come trotting up. A uh, great big tom will come up and um, pass around Fionn's legs, rubbing, meowing, purring, and then bite you, as cats want to do, <laughs> and then trot off towards the uh, towards the house. As much as I don't enjoy religion, I do enjoy cemeteries. It always smells so much less like excrement over here. Fion, shall we follow your friends? Granny indicates the cats. Yes. I have picked up one of the cats and I am petting it. I, I will offer all the cats that come near me pets and pieces of jerky. All cats love you. They love you. They love you lots and lots. And then I put the cat on my shoulder because I like cats. It'll balance there. As Fiona uh, has said, they all pretty much look exactly the same, except for the lead. At least the the big tomcat looks. Um, he, he's big. He sticks out compared to the rest. Otherwise, they all could be identical twins at this point, or whatever sixteen uplets would be. <laughs> you guys, you make your way to the uh, large mausoleum-looking building with a thatched roof. Big wooden door is shut. It has the uh, inverted cross of the old faith or at least of the Faith of the Liché practice, emblazoned on it. And um, there is a little bell and a chain. Tom, are you doing the honors? Or Nora, I should say. Uh, yes, definitely. Yes, the oldest greets and rings, the youngest brings the gift. Give the little chain a tug. Nora looks over at Fionn and checks that she has the flowers ready and nods approvingly that uh, it was a good choice from our land. Hopefully. They were on the checklist. You have some strange customs. Well, so do you, Burying the dead? That's so gross. In the end, it's actually really good fertilizer. But, you know, I mean, not that anybody's growing anything over here. Nora hits the chain. You get the clangor of the uh, busted up tin bell. The door swings open and you guys see Mort. Looks much like he did the last time you saw him. He's barefoot. He's dressed in his priestly robes. Kind of the Friar Tuck almost look, right? He doesn't have the uh, tonsure or anything like that on the head, but he's just very plain brown. He has a symbol on his chest. Oh, come in, come in, come in, come in. Oh, you brought flowers? Oh, this is so lovely. Come in, come in. This is wonderful. And um, there's, on, there's, only, there's only three of you. Where's, where's Maris? He is speaking with somebody from his guild about matters. Oh, so he went to the Bard's Guild. Yeah, yeah. He was looking for information about the box. Is there a difference between a Bard and a Storyteller? A little bit. The uh, the Bardic Guild is a larger guild that basically oversees the smaller version of the uh, Storytellers Guild. It's incredibly complicated, honey. You know, Mort, I was wondering something as we were walking over here. Yes. You're a Lachey. You, you, you collect bodies, right? Well, that, uh, only as much as these old bones will let me. I mean, I do, I do have the boys. He points over to the corner. He's got two young acolytes. They do most of the work for me. I, I, I wave to them. Hey, how's it going? When you say young... Do you mean younger than, like, me and Vassar? They're about uh, 25. Okay, so they're older than me. Mort, God knows how old he is. He's probably Nora's equal in age. They're about 25, you figure, in that, you know, kind of mid-20 range. They're hulking brutes of uh, young men. They've Mm -hmm. got, like, just that big power lifter build to them. These are men that do a lot of physical labor all day long. I love Emily's face. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Really? Tell tell me more. (laughs) Are they shirtless? <laughs> <laughs> Not currently, but if they get, if they break into a sweat, they might have to. Grandmother's furrowing her brows a bit at uh, Fionn. Hmm. Uh, Fionn's not speaking because <laughs> she won't speak unless spoken to. Uh, no, Grandma should be doing the speaking. 
And Fiona's not foolish enough to put her foot in her mouth right now. <laughs> so, more after we get done with all of this unpleasantness, um, you know, if you ever want to make some extra cash, I know some farmers that'd be very interested in fertilizer, if you know what I mean. Fertilizer. Um, well, the church officially frowns upon that. Uh, the interment of the, the, the dead in the sacred space is a thing that needs to, to stay. I, I do understand that there are some of, uh, my order that have, um, perhaps found a loophole, if you will, uh, in the, in the teachings. But I, for one, adhere to the letter of that law. Well, if you know of any of them who, uh, who are part of that loophole, just send them my way. Cause, you know, we can make some extra cash for your walls, for your, uh, Cemetery, which seems to be falling apart. Just letting you know. If I know anyone who um, needs uh, further corrupting in order so I may gain monetarily, I will contact you. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> so he has the flowers. Uh, he takes them, ha- uh, puts them on the mantle over the small fireplace. He tells the boys to uh, get the fire started to get tea. The boys don't speak at all. They're not twins, but you think they could well be brothers. I yell over at him. Do you t- take a vow of silence? Yes, they did, says Mort. I was asking them. I feel like they could have just shook their head or something. He tells you once they're 30, they can speak. Oh, oh, well, that's good. They only got, what, about seven more years to go? Oh, about that. Big brawny and can't speak. (laughs) That's a big smile. (laughs) (laughs) They're real pretty when they're not talking, I'll tell you that. (laughs) The only problem is they could be, like, terrible people or really dumb, and you wouldn't know until for seven years. Um, Nora, uh, actually, I was just about to say this. Nora would understand that, at least potentially, one of the punishments within the faith, this forced silence is abstinence from speaking and the forcing of a more uh, visceral or uh, primal method of communication. There's grunting and that type of thing in- involved or pointing and, and, and so forth. They've done something bad. This is a punishment. This vow of silence was not something they chose for themselves. So you're telling me they're very bad boys? <laughs> yes, they are very they are very bad boys. Wow, we got sausages and pants and a group of bad boys. <laughs> Nora, please, Grandma, help me out here. Um, <laughs> they're very bad boys and need to be punished. Yes, I got, got it. it. Um, Mort uh, looks at Nora as the only non-sexually aroused individual <laughs> in the group and um, asks kindly, have a seat. You are given one of the uh, one of the two chairs, and um, tea is poured. He looks at you, Nora. Are you sure that Maris will be safe on his own? He certainly knows his way around the city much better than some of us. I believe he can handle himself. He's going to be fine. He's Maris. Do you still have the box, grandmother? Possibly. Good. Vassar, is uh, Julia still looking for a safe place to stay? Uh, yes, she is. Did um, we bring her with us? I thought we brought her with us. I thought we did. Yes, you did. Absolutely. But she may not have come inside. My mom's actually outside. She's uh, looking at some of the some of the graves. She knows some of the people that are buried here. Vassar, there's a couple different ways we can help your mother. We can have her stay here with us, which would probably be very uncomfortable for a woman of her taste and refinement. Uh, my preference would be to um, have her stay with some friends of mine. Uh, well, it's, it's my family, quite honestly. Um they're about a block away from here. I can get her there, and uh, she'd be well cared for and have what she needs. Who are they? Oh, I, my, my apologies. It's the coppers. Oh, no, they're lovely people. I, my mom would be quite comfortable there, probably. They can make sure that she's okay. She's outside? Oh, yeah, she's outside. Here, let me do this for you, too. And I pull out seven silver pieces, and I give them to Mort. Oh, my, no, 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 no. If you must do this, give it to the coppers, give it to my family, and they will use it to help take care of your mother. 
Well, here, keep two then for the church and the cemetery. Well, I don't see why pockets it. I guess I must if I must. All right. Well, I will go take my mother over there right now. I'll be back in a few. Okay. It's only about, you know, a block away, Vassar, so it's going to come a, a hop, skip, and a jump, a hop, skip, and a jump back. Nothing too much. Mm-hmm. Nora, Mort, he's got very, very serious. Obviously, this is important. You have the mouth of Erlig. It needs to be, I don't know if it can actually be destroyed, but I know that it must be protected or at least hidden. I can only think of one conceivable place that makes the most amount of sense. However, it's more myth than reality or legend, perhaps, than reality. I don't know exactly where it is, but I can get you to someone who can uh, take you to it, or at least in its general vicinity. Can you tell us anything about it? When Avalon was first founded outside where the original, the old city, the forbidden portion of the city is the uh, walled-off section, outside of that was a number of different towns and so forth. There was, at one point, a great dwarven civilization that lived directly beneath us. He kind of stamps his feet directly below in much of our wonderful sewer systems that the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators runs, there are bits and pieces of this ancient dwarven home. Within that is a place that one of uh, Ergon, he was a great architect of Avalon. Ergon had built basically a chamber there for the Grand Vizier. This is back during the last king of Avalon. It's, It's been forever. That was used to house and protect the Grand Vizier himself during his uh, spell castings and his summonings and his dealing with creatures from other from other planes. Um, this is, again, pre-Soul War. But the hope is that in this place has enough... It's still powerful. It's still a place where we could place the mouth, we could place the box, and it would be hidden from view. That is the best I can do. Apart from perhaps turning it over to my master's, within the liche, but I honestly, I do not think, I don't think it'd be safe anywhere above in this place where any mortal could, could find it. I think it needs to go somewhere where it would be protected and hidden. So, protected and hidden. Now, normally, it is not our tradition to bury people in buildings. I would think that that would have an effect on the spirit of that person, as in constraining it is there any creature is there any spirit living there now is there any rumors of such a thing yes it is believed that ergon himself lives there and protects that space he was a great sorcerer and architect of his day and it is believed that that place he poured everything he had into it and it is would be the single most secure location he had dedicated his life to protecting and preserving avalon and its inhabitants and everything uh, about it. So my my hope, my deepest hope, is that by going there, you'll at least find a place where you could put the box, where you could put this mouth of her leg, and it would be safe. Until such time as we could find a way to possibly destroy it. I don't know how to banish it. I don't know how to rid us of it. And now that it's found, something something simply must be done. It, it We're all in danger. So the assumption is that it's a place where some powerful spirit would guard it, but in addition to that, it's going to be difficult to find that location to begin with? Absolutely. It does sound like the ideal place, but it also (laughs) sounds like it has some difficulties. It does. I have, fortunately, a a gentleman who, well, he's been there before, and uh, he owes me a very serious favor. And he's incredibly trustworthy. I would stake my life on it, but he, he can take you to it. 
Well, this is not a decision for just myself. I agreed, but you are clearly the wisest of the group, and I, I want, and the keeper of the box, and I wanted to make sure that I laid this out for you as plainly and as honestly as I can, so that a decision can be made. It's also one I can't make for you. I would never, never wish to wrest the box from you or force you to do a thing that you do not wish to do. All things considered of the choices that I have been told of, this certainly sounds like the most positive outcome. I will have to wait till my party members rejoin us so that we can discuss this. Understood. That's all for this episode of The Streets of Avalon. Tune in next time to see if Maris betrays the group, what more can be learned about Ergon, and what is with all those weird-looking cats? We look forward to running with you rogues next time. <laughs>